This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by booth 1303 at San Diego Comic-Con, Chasing Artwork. Come down and get copies of Cassian Tonk, Rust and Water, Gear and Sea, Snow Troll's Daughter, and Red and See Through. July 18th to 21st. That's booth 1303. See you in San Diego. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. Hello, and welcome to Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with Justin, my long-suffering co-host, and Dan, our excellent producer, who has ambushed us with a podcast idea today. I'm not ambushing you. I, um, I texted you about this two days ago. You said, I have an idea. I said, great. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll pitch a story to you. Um, Little yeah. insight to the amount of planning that goes into this podcast. <laughs> That's right. This is a podcast um, that begins in our hearts. And then continues in our minds on yes. the air. Um, no, I was listening to, actually was listening to last week's episode with Negan Sinclair, and it was really good, and I was just saying before we started recording that I had a lot of fun finding clips for that one. I went back to the multi-film clip thing that we used to do, instead of just picking one, because I was looking for um, indigenous actors and roles in film, and, and science fiction particularly, and I found, had fun finding those. Um, and then I was thinking about reconciliation. Uh, we'll, you know what? Stop there. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, I, one of my favorite genres is alternate history. Have you, uh, mm-hmm. have you ever mm-hmm. love alternate yeah. history stuff? Yeah. So, what, like, uh, I'm thinking in terms of in comics, it was what if. Remember the what if books? Yeah. So, yeah. The, the, the dear listener, an alternate history story is one where you just take an established historical event and then you change some detail in it. So, there's a book uh, by Bruce Sterling and William Gibson, which basically looks oh, at... the Difference Engine? Difference yes, Engine, Yes, that's right? right. Yeah, that's a very good one, too. It looks like, what if computers were invented way before... Yeah, in the Steam the, Age. Yes, that's right. right. So they've got this giant computer, like the size of a building, yeah. and it, it operates on uh, Steam and stuff like that. That was really good. But What If had uh, storylines, like, it was it was uh, stories told by the, the Watcher, the big bald alien who yeah. lived on the moon, and he told stories told stories about uh, what, if, what if Professor X had died... Uh, I don't remember the specific storyline, but there was one in which Professor X almost died in the yeah. X-Men. And then this one took a look at, what if he had died? What would have happened? How would the X-Men One of my favorite what-if issues was, um, I forget what the title was. It was what if, I'm pretty sure it was what if Venom um, had taken over Thor. Or at least that's the, that's the plot. Ooh. So the symbiote like, bonds with... Thor. Thor. Oh, that's a neat idea. Uh, like first that. the Hulk, and then with Thor at some point. Like, he's jumping. The symbiote is, like, able to jump a lot more easily. And so... Okay. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, Venom Thor was pretty pretty miraculously bad. There's one where Superman, uh, his spacecraft lands in Russia rather than Red Central Sun. America. Yeah, Red Sun. Dick oh. Johnson did that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was another one. That was DC. DC called it yeah. Elseworlds. That yes. was their thing. Yeah. But the other, the DC one I remember specifically was that um, um, Superman's spacecraft lands in Gotham City. That's right. And, and oh, Bruce, Wayne's, wor- Bruce Wayne's parents raise him right. as Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And then they die and then he becomes Batman. That's when his powers first manifest is when his parents are killed. The trauma of that causes yeah. his eye beams and he melts <laughs> Joe Chill with his eye beams. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so anyway, yeah. this it's, it's kind of fun to kind of take a look at uh, the way things could have happened. Right. right? The way, the yeah. way, um, and then, there's, I mean, there's so many different, there's Harry Turtledove. There's so many different people who've done. And even even like Watchmen is a, is an alternate history in a way. Like yeah. that's just yeah. taking a look at what if there had been a big blue guy who could do whatever he wanted. Like yeah. that's the only thing that's different, 
really, and then that changes the course of history. Yeah. In uh, well, maybe not. No, the mass vigilantes are part of that as well. The uh, short story I did for the Fractured Anthology was uh, basically what if Martian tripods uh, had landed in Canada pre-industrial age. Oh. And so it's like right. It's right as like uh, basically at the at the at the beginning of colonialism. What if instead. Right, there's like the Europeans arriving, but then also these Martians arriving at the same time, and the there's like uh, indigenous perspective in there. But it all came up from the fact that in Lower Fort Geary was the first piano in Canada. Oh. The crux of the story is around this piece of technology that lots of different groups of people don't understand, which is this piano. Okay, yeah. um, actually, that kind of that kind of leads into my idea. Um, so what I was thinking was, I'm listening to the podcast, and I was I was feeling I'm like generally feel pretty bad about how things have gone with the indigenous people as far as our history goes. I have right. a bit of guilt around that and I'll talk about that later. Um, and I thought, what if, what if that hadn't happened? What if instead the European settlers actually did a good job and were accepting of the indigenous peoples? Are there examples of that in history? No. Does that ever happen? Well, that's the thing. Like, like <laughs> I can't think of a one. Like, like, but, but maybe there's one cathartic event that happens that... May, and maybe it's not every single thing. The original thought I had was, what if residential schools didn't happen? Right. Right. There, there is kind of a more simpler way to put it. What if they didn't yeah. decided not to to uh, to send all these children to... So you're to, pitching an alternate history to yeah, us. Yeah, right alternate now. history. It's not it's not science fiction. It's not... Uh, there's no fantasy or, or magic or anything like that. It's simply, what if history had gone differently in Canada? What if there had been no residential schools? You can go back further and say, what if there had been no reserve system? At some point, something changes in order to um, in order to let Indigenous peoples be themselves in our society and not. I think to. the only way that could happen, just looking at all of history and how that never happens, it's always one group kind of dominating. Another. Yeah, it takes over another. Um, but there are examples nowadays of like they there's like Indigenous tribes in the jungle where when they are discovered people make a point of leaving them alone That's and letting true. everybody know to leave them alone. So I think the only way that could have gone well is... Oh, I have well so many things is... to unpack about this that I want to talk. Okay, so the first thing that jumps out of my head is that uh, if we learned anything from the last podcast with Negan Sinclair is that our, we, the three people at this table, are not qualified to judge the impact on the indigenous communities. True. So, so we, should only, <laughs> we should limit our conversation to the stuff that we would know about, which is like our own cultural... Um, frictions right like uh my dad's family's from belarus my uh, mother's family was icelandic so there's a fair amount of invasion and um what's the word uh first contact okay. that goes on in both of those histories so yep. i can and i know a fair amount about that i've read quite widely in both areas yep so i could speak my to connection that. is a little more it's closer and a little more personal my grandfather was a social worker who moved to winnipeg in the 60s to, to, to enact the 60s scoop Oh, so wow. that was that's that was his job was to take away indigenous children from their oh, families man. and and um, so and he didn't feel good about it like he, he <laughs> yeah well good he, for like it was not like speaks to his character well you know he's a, he was a great guy and I wish he was still alive so I could I could talk to him more about this I didn't really understand anything about it when when he was uh, around um, I did but I was like, I didn't understand his his involvement in it. Um, so yeah, there was something there that, that, you know, I wouldn't be here if he hadn't come here to do that. Right. So I'm kind of tied into that 
a little bit. So yeah, you're right. We can't we can't uh, speak to the Im impact that that that's had on Indigenous but we do, peoples. But we can speak with authority of right. our from our own perspective. Right. So I think that's. Fair. But but we and we also do have you know the history books. What's being written now about the impact of this on yeah. Indigenous culture about reconciliation and what we're doing to try and try and make that right or to make things right going forward. Yeah. And I think that's where a book like this can go is that if we show what society and what I'm talking about here is creating an alternate history but telling a story in in this time that takes place within the history kind of like bright without the orcs and the and the, right. and the fairies but yeah right so for the dear listener bright is a film where sorry that's uh, a bad example no but <laughs> but it's a good example from the standpoint of okay it's a modern setting uh that um accepts the idea that fairies and magic and wizards and like all the stuff that from a D&D world basically uh, is real, but it's now the modern age, and so there are police orcs, and there are, yeah. you know, there, there was, there was convenience issues. store fairies. I, yeah, I didn't. Um, in my opinion, that film took a lot of uh, leeway with its history. Did not really do the research as far as what could have happened if they looked at this timeline. It could have been a richer story. I agree. Oh, for yeah. sure, and that's kind of what I would like to do with this: is, is make like there's going to be a ton of research involved here. Um, there's going to be a ton of like looking up what what actually happened, trying to figure out what could have happened. I don't know, guys. I mean, according to this, O.J. Simpson was tried for a double murder. The Raiders play in Oakland. Cleveland Indians made the World Series. My Star Trek nerd heart sings a little bit here mm. uh, because it's the very idea, like when Gene Roddenberry and uh, the writers on the original Star Trek series uh, and the later Next Gen stuff, the idea of the prime directive, right? One of right. the tenets of the prime directive is that you don't interact with cultures that have lesser technology than you. Yes. Right? You're, you're basically supposed to, if they're pre-warp, meaning if they can't move from planet to planet easily, <laughs> Which, leave them alone. Yeah. They break it constantly. It's like one of the things of the show is constantly breaking the prime directive. But that's why we haven't been contacted by aliens yet. That's right. Because perhaps. we're pre-warp. That's right. I hope. <laughs> I hope. It's not just because it's a planet run by idiots. That's right. That's right. right? Could be that as well. Yeah. Um, so there is this pre-existing condition. So anytime I was reading a about this, uh, man, I wish I could remember what they were called. There's that island where the, where the uh, missionary went to try to have contact with the island. He's like, I'm gonna bring religion to these people right. that have not had contact. Oh, get, yeah. And they killed him with arrows and everyone yeah. in the, briefly, briefly in the international community, it was like, oh my gosh, we have to go punish those people. And then the cultural anthropologists came in, they're like, no. The people need to be left alone. They're actually, that's an act of invasion, just bringing his disease on his body. That's with right, him, yeah. Right? Like, they have not had enough contact. They don't have the antibodies. Like, his right. corpse there could mean the end of that entire group of people. There, and that, that is another issue that uh, that happened when Europeans came here, is that there were a lot of disease and a lot of things that they inadvertently gave to... Now, I think they, some, in some cases, they gave it to them on purpose. Smallpox blankets. Smallpox blankets. Yeah, there stuff. was some stuff on purpose. There was some stuff by accident. There was, you know, when Cortez uh, landed... Um, South America and through that region, there's some strong archaeological and anthropological evidence to suggest that the reason he was so easily able to overcome those indigenous communities is that the first trading contact that he had caused an enormous uh, amount of sickness and disease to sweep in front of their group. Okay. So well, by the time he reached... Well, there's probably something silly like chicken pox. Yeah, too, right. That just, by the time they reached the center of that aspect... Right. Or measles. Yeah, of that empire, they were so weakened by a disease they had no 
Right. So, I mean, it's the one thing that is always left out of alien invasion stories, right? That well, as no. soon as the alien shows up, usually or the worlds, or the worlds is like... one of the only ones that does it, right? <laughs> the aliens show up. They See, other way around, and they're though. Like, oh man! What's funny in War of the Worlds cool. is that. That was like one of the first alien invasion stories, right? right. Like that was, yeah. and nobody else has done it since. Right. You think that everybody would do that? And well, and that part so, of it. Um, Independence Day kind of did do that. They just made it a computer virus oh, instead yeah. of. Jeff, well, and, Jeff Goldblum had to go upload that. That was like something. Well, and it was that inspiration of Canada's history of uh, biological warfare on its own indigenous population that gave me the idea that the, so in the story that I did for that. Uh, anthology that Martians observe biological warfare among humans and then are ready for it. So they're not wiped out by diseases as a result, right? So mm -hmm. they see our shitty behavior to each other and so are more prepared than the H.G. Wells. I always did think that was poor planning on, yeah, the H.G. Wells aliens part. Like they didn't yeah. take a sample of the water and put it through a beaker and make sure it's not full of Well, yucky to stuff. be fair, <laughs> there's no liquid water on Mars. So, uh, you know, Maybe that we know of, of. That, uh, that we know. Of. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so alternate history. Yeah. So you, what do you think? Do you think this is a story that's worth exploring? Do you think it's something we can do something with? So I always work backwards. Okay. All right. From the form in your mind, you have an idea for a story. You're holding it. I don't have an idea for a specific story. Okay. But here, but play this, play this, um, okay. play this game with me. It's three years later. You're holding it. Describe it to us. That's a graphic novel. Um, I, I just I do think it needs to be a visual story. Uh, it's like physically <laughs> describe it yeah, to you. Yeah, physically, like it's everything thick. about it. It's thick. It's like the size of Arkland. Okay. <laughs> I don't All know right. why it has Shout to be that big. Shout out to Scott. 240 pages. <laughs> Which I just yeah. finished, and it's amazing. Um, and uh, that's not influencing. Like the story of Arkland is not influencing me here. It's just that that's I can see it as that being that robust of a story. So maybe it does need to cover the history of it a bit. Um, that's all I have. That's full it. color. Full, oh, full color for sure. Yeah. Single author, multiple authors, like an anthology uh, collection. I was thinking single author, yeah. telling a single story. Um, and yeah, say one author, one artist, obviously, because I can't draw. So someone else would have to draw it. What or... is the tone? If I it... got a title. Okay. Oh, okay. A place not called Canada. Oh. Because it oh. would never have been called that. Right. Or maybe because that's village, right? We misinterpreted well they misinterpreted a lot yeah, Winnipeg. yeah a lot of things but Winnipeg yeah. means what muddy waters is that right it comes from Cree for muddy waters muddy waters yeah. there it is but I don't know if that was the original and word. Uh, th Manitoba Manitowapau the original word for Manitoba has an interesting uh, connotation also um, but the thing I was going to say was if you're going to write an alternate history so most alternate history books, like Turtle Dove, isn't that his name? Yeah, Harry Turtle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he did he ones picks, where alien inv aliens invade during World War II. Right. So he picks a period of history that people in general know a lot about. Yeah. And so when you show the juxtaposition of like an alien spaceship and a World War II battleship, you get what's going on. Yeah. The hard part here, uh, not insurmountable, but the hard part here, um, in my mind, would be so much of the history that we're talking about addressing in a story like that is this history that the vast majority of Canadians don't really know too much about. But they should. They should. And so presenting it in a way that wouldn't be too preachy and wouldn't, but would still be interesting 
could be part of the challenge. Yeah. And like how far how far are you showing? Like from first contact, that never happened. Well, where, I, does, where does your story start? That, where no, that's where the end? research comes in. I have to figure out where. And I'm not talking about the entire history. I'm talking about a key moment where things branch off in a different timeline. Okay, I have an idea of how we flip it so that our conversation is based only on our point of view rather than presupposing the point of view of an indigenous culture is not present at the table. What if it's a story of first contact in reverse? They've crossed the ocean, <laughs> right? And they've reached Europe first, Okay. right? And so it's our cultures who've been contacted by a culture that we don't understand very well, mm -hmm. right? And uh, Did China how does that not do things? that and then they just stopped? sailing because there was they didn't think there was anything interesting out there like sailo china was like sailing around they had like more advanced boats than like anywhere else in the world but they were so far well it depends what period gone. of history right so portugal was like the maiden sea power for a good long time at a yeah. certain point of history and so was greece and so was italy and so was france so it depends on spain right so it depends on what period of history that you're talking about but at a certain point there's a difference between um exploration Right, so there's there's a difference between exploration and trade. Well, that and so that's, I mean, once 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 the Silk Road opened up and there was trade between European and uh, Asian areas of the globe, right? That's when you actually had cultural interchange. Right. Right. When there was something for both sides to gain, right? And yeah. invasion is a whole other thing. So, under what conditions? Let's pick a place in Europe that we both we could all speak fairly well about. Just never been to Europe. I had a random thought. Go I don't ahead. like. I, and again, I'm not as well versed on this as I should be. Uh, Vikings came to Canada. They, they did. did. Yeah. Yes. What did that interaction go like? So, depending on who, so there is a lot of written history. So, uh, Icelandic and Nordic cultures, right, made their way to Iceland, and many of them then from Iceland made it onto uh, this continent, and so. As the last like 40 years of archaeological evidence starts to unfold, we see lots of, there's strong evidence to suggest that pre-Columbus, pre-anyone else, right, that uh, Nordic sailing ships made it all the way here. And that likely there was peaceful trade in some instances, mm -hmm. um, but more likely because the Nordic cultures of which half of my uh, side is descended on, they went, they had a culture of reciprocity, right? And reciprocity meant that um, you always gave as much as you were given. And in order to give as much as you were given, you had to take from somewhere else. So the idea of the Vikings as raiders and as pillagers, it comes from a cultural idea that if you can take something from someone else, it was meant for you. There's a, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was, uh, it's shitty. Right? Like you can look at it through the lens of like, so they basically, if they could take it, then they took it. Yeah. But they didn't consider it to be wrong. It was part of their religious structure. Right? How that convenient. That, right? How convenient. <laughs> right? And so I think there's this, it's probably likely that um, a culture that has this tie to physical objects upon meeting um, what I know about, uh, say, Cree or Anishinaabe cultures just in, you know, like Manitoba and the, that surrounding region, they had a name for it, which I don't know, we could maybe ask Nigan to help us out. There was a name for basically a sickness that comes from a greed for objects, mm. right? Okay. There was, cons there was uh, 
there's some traditional stories related to this idea that when they met Europeans, they were like, wow, they, they really are like caught up in this idea that this is mine, this is my object. Whereas like, if we leave it here and come back in two seasons, it can be ours still. Like we don't have to bring it with us. Right. Oh, my son is joining in. The first person that actually came to Canada by boat was uh, Leif Erikson. He was one of the first people. I don't know if that's true. It is. Uh, well, yeah, it is. I knew it was too good to be true. That's what happens when you put your face in sorcerers. My, uh, it's summer holidays, and both of my sons are at the studio here. And uh, we just had a tune-in from their education in the public school system. History of Leaf. The history of Leaf. Yeah, my son's first name is Leaf, so he knows a little bit about whence he came. Jazz is leaving us tomorrow around 10, uh -huh. I'm confirming, yeah. Go to a new home. Well, that's, she'll be happy in her new home. Yeah. For sure. There's another dog there for her to play with. Okay, cool. Oh, we got Opal over there, too. She's hanging out. <laughs> she's on the couch as usual. Yeah, she's yeah. like, wait, why do you get all that attention? Okay. He, he see, she seeks it, Opal. She seeks it. Yeah. You're, you're just content being on the couch. Anyway. Back um, to the show. I think, okay, so I understand everything you guys are coming at. And I, and I think that um, if that's one way to go. Another way to go is to, we don't have to go all the way back to first contact or right. settlement. We can pick pretty much any point in the timeline and diverge if we have an event or a person who makes a difference. And I'm thinking in terms of, like one thing that kind of got me on this, this thought um, train is, um, is when Negan was talking about the scene in which uh, uh, Johnny McDonald was on a train passing by a residential school. Yes. And he went into, the funny thing is he went into that more after we finished the podcast, yeah. um, which I didn't include in it because the audio wasn't great. But um, but that scene of a, a young indigenous boy in the field, working in the field, uh, waving at the train, um, that got me thinking, well, that, like, Johnny McDonald was part of that because he was prime minister at the time. Right. What if somebody else had been prime minister who didn't want to do that? Or who, I don't, you know, again, I don't know the history of it. So, so I have to do the research. So this is the, this is the thing I would say. If you wanted to start, like, if we, if we were pressed right now, we like, we had to hand something into a publisher right now and we had to well, like, I don't want to do make that. some gains. No, but I'm just saying, what you do is you create... You create a framework around the limitation of what your story is, right? Okay. So this is why I work backwards from what is the physical object. Now we know there's illustrations. Now we know it's a single author. Now we know, right? It helps you streamline what the story is about. Okay. Sorry. The other thing that could streamline what the story is about is we could take, because we're talking about it here and it seems on our minds, this idea of biology. What if when the settlers arrived, they were not immune to the diseases of the indigenous culture rather mm. than the other way around. What if the, if the balance of immunity had been different? There you go. Okay. Right? Yep. Now you don't have to change anything else. You don't have to say, oh, well, they invented guns early. Yes, or they yes. Right? You That's don't right. have to change anything else. You just change what was a true equalizer. Yeah, the best alternate history is like one that's a very one very simple detail right? that changes, that so affects in so that, the butterfly effect, right? as it were. Imagine now a... Uh, North America, South America, where Europeans don't want to go there because everyone they know that goes there gets sick, right. and everyone who comes back from there brings horrible sickness. Yeah. Right? Now you have a Europe that develops separately oh, from a North and South American culture. Right. Like, you wouldn't immediately have a way to exploit them. But they still would want to trade with them. They want to trade with them for the resources. For the that's resources. an interesting idea. Now you have now you have a balancing act in the in the great historical calculation, right? Yeah. 
where they don't need to be, and, and what's great about it is it doesn't um, create a scenario where you have to have a warlike equalizer. Like you don't have to say, oh, well, there was a uh, culture or a tribe of indigenous people who were capable of defeating the Europeans. They can remain as they were. That's right. Right? Yeah. Hmm. That's a good one. So, I, I was um, going to say, if we're thinking about, if we're working backwards from where we're, we, we're going to end up, I have a kind of an idea of what I'd like to depict in the comic book. Yeah. So the idea is being that um, it's indigenous and, and every, everybody living here in peace and harmony. I know it's a bit idyllic, is the word? Uh, and I know that now that everything's going to go perfectly, even if that kind of stuff didn't happen, there'd still right. be issues, there'd still be problems, and we can explore that. But it would be a world in which, say, reserves didn't exist, right? Right. Uh, uh, indigenous people weren't kept away for a certain amount of time and weren't forced to stay out there. Well, let's look at that world. So, well, hold on. You were thinking of an image. So no, Justin, it, is, like, Justin is key. Uh, he always makes anchor images, right? So no. run, run um, Dan through what you would need to make an anchor image for this book. What are the questions you'd have to ask? Well, just as you're running through the story in your mind and what you want to see over and over and over again, there's usually like a pivotal scene or pivotal moment that comes across especially strong or sticks around. And usually you want to really fine tune and hone that. And that becomes kind of the, that core anchor for the rest of the story to be. What was it for Cassie and Tonk? It was the, uh, right there. It's um, a okay. robot holding an umbrella, umbrella for a girl in the right, rain. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So what's the first image that came to your head when thinking about this? I don't really have an image in my head. Um, I don't think in terms of imagery a lot no? of the time. No, oh, interesting, yeah. yeah I, I just, uh, I have to, I'd have to think about it. I really, I can't just come up with something on the, on the spot. So here's the, I can immediately imagine this. So let's say, um, can't come into North America because you get too sick, right? Or you're afraid of it. Right, even if the immunities, because eventually, immunity would happen, but you, people you build would still it up, be cautious. Yes, yes. Right, people would still be cautious. So what you have is no fur trade. Well, right? no fur trade the way it happened. Well, because what happens is Europeans come in and they are taking way more than they should. Right. Right. Way more than is uh, beneficial, and the cultures that were saying, "Hey, maybe ease off on that." were moved to other places right. as a result. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We eventually have first contact between Mexico and Native Americans when because there was... N oh, like, yeah. So if Cortez can't destabilize South America and the Europeans can't destabilize North America, do you have a continent with a strong technological bent that comes out of, like, Olmec culture? Maybe. Like, whoa. Oh, that's a mind-blowing... Right? So you'd have these two... See, that'd be a cool alternate history. See, see, the history would be... What if the history was... Yeah, oh, man, I think we're onto something here. So, all of... Like, it's not, like I'm, of course, I've been thinking in terms of, of Canadian Indigenous peoples and all that yeah. kind of stuff, but, of course, it happened everywhere yeah. in North and South America, so... What happens if that is the case for everywhere? Yeah. And what what does North? And again, these are these are world building questions. These will not have to do with the, the story, other yeah. than to be background for the story. Yeah. Yeah. But that's something to include as far as 
what does South America look like right now? What does and Mexico look like right do now? Do you want this to be a story with characters, or do you almost want it to be like kind of like a faux history book? Like no, a, I want it to be a story with characters. Yeah, I, characters? I like the idea yeah. of having a story okay. within, and it, it creates this big world that maybe the other stories can be told within as well. But it's just right. for the purposes of this, I want it to be essentially what I'd like it to be is this is what. Um, if reconciliation is successful, this is what our society could look like right. for living. You know, and you don't want to start it early. So power balance is an important thing yeah. for the background, but the characters themselves. Who is the voice in this character? Like who? Who's speaking? Who is the? Oh, who's the central character? Yeah. Well, I would think. See, I can't write from the perspective of an indigenous person, so it would have to be a. What about a your white like? It was your grandfather you said that was involved. Yeah, 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 in my grandfather. Yeah, yeah. What about an organization that is proposing the idea of the '60s scoop? of the '60s scoop? <laughs> okay, right, but in reverse. What do you mean in reverse? In reverse, the uh, dominant culture in North America is not European, and the Europeans don't seem to be doing that well, and you know they're not really raising their kids the way that oh, dominant wow. culture is observing. Um, you know, they've got this greed for things. That's right. right. That's right. They seem obsessed with like m manufacturing gunpowder and like blowing each other up and fighting for like they're bringing these strips of cloth like flags over and there's right. like they put it up and it's if it's the wrong color, everyone's trying to kill each other. Like if that was your if you were the dominant culture and this was the visiting culture behaving like that, you might think we have to we have fast to, forward we to have the sixties. You might say maybe we should not let them raise their own. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Right. Wow. That's and, a great idea. And suddenly the, you have this, this villainous behavior that's trying to come from a kind place. Right. Right. Which yeah. is different than the underlying motivations of the 60s scoop. Right. Mm. Which had this uh, PR move of saying, oh, we know better. Right. But it had an underlying uh, economic agenda. Right, that destabilizing a growing population so right. that they don't become a voting issue. You know, the president's about to speak. You mean President Clinton? Of course I mean Clinton. Who else? <laughs> that Clinton is in your home. No, I feel sorry for the pres. Being married to that loudmouth. This is all very good. I think we've got a lot here. So that's all setting. But yeah. what's the story? I don't know. I don't know. So what's I think I feel, I feel like I have to build the world first and then I have to tell the story within the world. What I like about where this story came from is because it percolated on the last episode of the podcast, that's like, right? right? Yeah. Which is exactly, now if you recall, this is basically what Negan said is going to happen. I have, He's to do like, the, I have to do the work. Right? right? Yeah, but, but he said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but the, the punchline was, if you allow other voices into the conversation, it will get you thinking about other things, and then the art that you make changes as a result, and then broadens exactly. the perspective. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, he was the little grit that makes the pearl. We didn't go to our pearl-making seminar with other oysters. <laughs> right. Stole that from Stephen King. Okay, I have a question for you guys. When it comes to stuff like this, and you've done a number of story-breaking episodes on this podcast, what was the one you guys did with Sam, and then I left, and you guys kept working on it? Oh, and she pitched it to her publisher? Uh, oh, is that a secret? <laughs> That's what was, this, is, this is my concern. Airlock. Airlock, yeah. Right, yeah. so... Um, when you do that, are you worried about other people stealing your ideas? If no. you put it no. out there, no. Why not? No. Because it takes a lot of work to finish something, and most people don't. And, and not just that. Not, but that's also true. Most of you won't start. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I'm sorry, but it's true. And if you are starting, and I hope you're really angry that I said that, and you go out and start something of your own, that's great. Um, Not part this of what thing, though. Don't start this story. No, you can start this story. <laughs> By all means, right? <laughs> it's the singer, not the song. If you were to uh, give us this story outline, and Justin and I uh, broke up from the studio, and we went to live in different parts of the world and came back using only the information in this podcast to make a 240-page graphic novel, and we put them both on the table in front of you. It would be very different. Right? Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. The core idea. If you were to go make Star Wars now, and you were only allowed to use the story idea but not any of the design ideas completely different it would be very bad very bad movie right (laughs) well not good or bad but it's very different and people might like it or dislike it you know okay you'd get wing commander that's not something right (laughs) i didn't mind wing commander right i actually Um, didn't mind it either freddie prince jr at the height of his powers hey man matthew lillard do Um, we um do we have some examples of that, like through? Well, here's here's why I asked the question. My uncle is Nicholas Burns, as yeah. you know, who's a uh, graphic novelist. He'll be on the podcast at some point. I've talked to him about it, um, but he was working on. Um, he a couple of years ago he pitched me. Uh, he was kind of telling me about uh, an idea he had for a comic book about the uh, strike, uh, the uh, Winnipeg General Strike right. of 1919, which is now a hundred years ago. Just just celebrated his hundredth anniversary this past month. And his idea was to have this novel, graphic novel, ready to go for that anniversary. And then he got sidetracked. He is very, very busy. He works in the film industry. He does storyboarding for all the major productions coming through here. He's working hand-in-hand with Sean Penn, I'm sure. Um, And um, so he didn't get a chance to do it. Uh, And at that point, he was concerned about somebody else doing that same book. Right. And maybe it's because it's something so specific about the Winnipeg General Strike that he was worried about that. Yeah, it's... I mean, I don't see any reason to fear. Because if any book that Nick Burns would do is going to be very different than any book anyone else does. Right. Yeah, that's true. Right? He has a different way of telling stories, of breaking stories. He has a different history. He has a different eye. He has a different reason to tell it. Right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's why he wanted to tell the story, because he's, he's got a very different viewpoint of... Um, of why that strike was important, not just because of the pop. He's, he's thinking about beyond the musical. What was that? What was that all about? So Justin has a story for you. Okay. Well, I just—it's something that's kind of along these lines, and it kind of proves our point a little bit. Yeah. Um, when Casting Tonk was first coming out, and we were drawing in the books all the time, um, one of the characters that kept showing up over and over again because we would both draw in the books is I would draw this little guy with a shield, holding the shield up, and then Gregory would draw a huge monster on the other side of the page, blasting with fire or ice. Some sort of breath weapon. Or some kind of like yeah. monster attacking. And we would always caption it, Ted the Shield Tester. And <laughs> poor little Ted, and his job is to test shields all day against horrible monsters. Somebody's got to do it. And so it was just this goofy thing we did during the show, right, as a way of, because it was sometimes set up at different tables. So okay. I would I'd draw a monster breathing fire, and then you go to find Justin, and he'll draw the other side of this drawing. That's makes cool. It, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> made a fun setup and knockdown. Yeah, so very organically, Ted the Shield Tester became kind of this ongoing little series of just him testing out different shields against horrible monsters. Yeah, there's hundreds of Ted drawings out there. Interesting. Yeah. We, uh, we went out for drinks after the Calgary show with a couple of friends of ours, and I don't, somehow Ted the Shield Tester came up and we started story-breaking on if we were to do that as an actual graphic novel. Yeah, a fun, you know, it's something that I love doing when there's a bunch of creative people at a table is I just say, okay, what if we made it, right? right? What would it look like? How would it work? All whatever. 
And uh, so we did that. And there was a bunch of people at the table. And then a year or two, must have been a year later. I got a message first from somebody who was at that table asking if they could write a story about Ted the Shield Tester. Really? Like they were an illustrator yeah. and, a, and a writer. And they said, can I, like, we all just made that up, right? Can I, can I? <laughs> Meanwhile, it's been something that you guys have been doing for a while. Can I do it? And our, we kind of said, like, yeah, go do it because it'll be different. Right. right? And then it ended up, uh, I have the collection here um, somewhere. Should find it. He, but it ended up as a backstory in a little, little comic that the, that the fellow put out. No, he made it as an individual. Is it little, its own thing now? Yeah. I wonder if I could find it real quick. Coming soon to a theater near you, Ted yeah. the Shield Tester. I don't think he called like, it Ted the Shield Tester. Coming soon to a theater near you, the story yeah. of our lawsuit against <laughs> Ted the Shield Tester. Um, but it was very different from so different. what we had in mind. The core elements, some of the core elements were the same. Yeah. But he told a different story than we were going to tell. Hmm. And I don't feel like... If I ever did want to fully develop Ted the Shield Tester, I don't feel like he's stepped on my toes. No, no one would, would read that story and then his story and be like, oh my God, you stole the idea. It really? just, it's so, it's so, it's motivated by the same kind of stuff. It's like if you wrote a Star Wars story, right? right? But you weren't allowed to use any of the designs and you weren't allowed to consult with George Lucas about along the way, it's going to become your own thing. Right. Which the opening four pages of Ted the Shield Tester are the exact concept, right? A kid that tests shields. Yeah. The reason he tests it, what he tested it against, why he's testing it, and how it ends, completely the other author's story. Hmm. So, really no... I don't think either either of us thought he was actually going to do it. Yeah. When I (laughs) I thought about this idea about the residential schools thing, I was like, someone has to have done this. Somebody has to have told the story similar to this. And I don't, I can't find anything yeah. just, just don't kind of surface Googling. But I mean, I, again, I have a lot of reading to do. I know I want to read, um, all those, all the moonshot stories. I want to read this place and all these, all these different, uh, graphic novels set, yeah. uh, with, or, or with indigenous characters. I have to read all that stuff as well to get all, all the, to get a sense of what's out there as far yeah. as storytelling is concerned. So, um, this is like not a short term. This is going to be something if I continue working on it, it will be years in the making. I think. Yeah. So. Um, so my advice to you as a uh, break the story simply into the following three easy parts. Uh, somebody somewhere wants something. Complications ensue. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. If you have the answer for the somebody, the somewhere, and the what they want and what the complications are, you can do that in point form. Yeah. It allows you now, because you have the name of your character and where it's taking place and all these kind of things, to... Uh, transplant that character into all the different versions of the setting you can imagine when you're walking to your car, when you're on a long uh, drive somewhere, when you're waiting in line. It allows you to run through that very simple way of thinking of your story and explode it in many different avenues. And you will find that one of them won't go away. Okay. It'll stick. Some say Paulie Shore isn't the greatest actor in the world, but there may also be some who say he is. This reviewer takes no position on the subject. We have a friend that we do conventions with who has a very specific style of artwork, um, and it looks like kind of wood block printing. There's one guy that does it, and another guy came along and saw what he was doing and saw, saw how successful he was and basically copied, like, point for point his business plan of 
taking video game characters and putting them in this style, and even his name is very similar, and Jeez. just basically completely copied so, his business plan. And so it would be as if I started a rival studio called um, Pacing Artwork. No. <laughs> right? Like, it even rhymes. It'd be running after the art. Yeah, yeah. It would be uh, Art Pursuit. <laughs> okay, I start Art Pursuit. Right. Right? And I use um, uh, Shattered Vector, Vector style. Yep, yep. Slightly different characters, but basically the same kind of stuff. Okay, so now what, what should I do in that situation? What would you do if somebody came along and very obviously saw that you, what you were doing was working and tried to do the exact same thing? Well, I have to present to you the historical context of Pepsi and Coke. What you do is you just... Just let them be. Let them be. You can't. Right? I mean, they fought each other to try and close each other down. And what they figured out was that it made both products, I mean, better at giving us all type 2 diabetes, but it made uh, both products better by having the competition and letting the market. And there were actually a lot of other colas, of colas as well. There's so a many ton. colas. Those were just yeah. the ones that won the cola yeah, yeah, wars, yeah, exactly, as they say, yeah. right? So it's crappy, but the market will bear it. If the market will bear it, then it, you have to allow it. If you believe in the idea of capitalism as being an idea that another person, that you have an idea that has value, that when you make the widget, someone else can buy that widget and they can get it from the source. Okay, sure, 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 sure. Right. But what would you do personally? What would I do personally? What would okay. you do personally? Not what would like, my small not self do, not my yes. big self? Yes. What, what would, would my your small, small self my do? My small self? <laughs> um, if somebody was doing a lot of like propaganda, a lot of propaganda style things, I'd have to ask myself where my inspiration came from. So like there might be true that if someone was doing a lot of like my World War weird stuff, like weird monsters. Would you pivot away from it or lean harder into it? If it's the only thing I did, I'd lean harder. Yeah. You'd have to. You'd have to distill it down to its core. But I'm not concerned by people like, oh, I'm going to do a like Psychic Institute book. Well, that's fine. That's only one book that I'm doing, right? Or oh, I'm going to do a fairy tale characters book. Well, that's only one thing that I'm doing, right? Mm -hmm. I, if you're a one-trick pony, then as you get older, the younger pony will always seem like a threat. If, <laughs> if you have a whole stable, right? of different equestrian uh, characters, <laughs> then there's no real worry for you. And I would say to, to this example of your friend who's had their work copied, um, is this person, like, are they setting up a cross for them? Are they, very, they sometimes do really? the same circuit. Oh, man, so they're so very bad. often like... So I, I, there's, there's something like drawing inspiration for somebody is one thing, but deliberately copying and then actively trying to take business away, is that what you would say is the strategy would, there? I would say would be okay. The now let me hold on. I'm just going to be. Uh, I yeah. don't agree with this point of view, but mm -hmm. I will present it because I believe that the point of view is a valid point of view, even if I myself don't agree with it. Of the thousands of people that comes to shows, let's say 10,000 people attend a show. Not all 10,000 visit that booth. No. Maybe 500 of them visit that one booth, meaning that there's 9,500 other customers that can go to the other booth. Right. Mm -hmm. You haven't actually taken money away and if you did it's because the people liked it better you can't blame the consumer or because for the preferring a product the artist over yours. did a better sales job right, right? so that there's more right? more motivation to be a better sales yeah what you have there is uh you have um evolution of an idea right this is 
your idea is now competing. You know, you're the Velociraptor, right, with no feathers, and you're the Velociraptor with feathers, and one of you is really good at cooling off in the hot sun so you can chase your prey longer, right? You don't, you're not angry at the other Velociraptor. You're too busy trying to eat, right? <laughs> and there were actually, I'm thinking of examples in Hollywood about this as well. Remember the volcano movies? There's two volcano movies. There's Volca always two volcano Maybe movies. Volcano and Dante's Peak came out within months of each other. Yeah. Armageddon and Deep, Deep Impact. Yeah. Right? Yeah. These Elijah movies, Wood. like, just kind of these... Bugs Life and Ants. Yes. Although yeah. that was deliberate. I, yeah. I just heard, learned about that. Oh. The Ants thing was the former Disney CEO trying to scoop current Disney um, Pixar. That was a, that was actually a bit personal in there. So, so, but it's always personal, and I think that's what Justin's gotten at is that if you leave your high-minded, calculating self, your bigger self, out of it and get down to the small self, you'll be like, "That was my idea." Right. Damn it! How dare you? Right. Where do you Where do you get off, sir? <laughs> well, right? I'm sure that was the reaction of this person, right? Like, what? Yeah, and it's I. It's a fair reaction. So this yeah. is not me saying, "Oh, you should just let it go." This is me saying, feel your feelings, but recognize you can't stop it. Yeah. Okay. Right? Like, your feelings are valid, but so too is the marketplace valid. And if both groups are doing uh, a style of printing based on properties they ultimately don't own, what the hell kind of high moral <laughs> ground do you think you've got? You're both doing... Mario. You know, yeah, you're both doing splatter Marios, yeah. right? Well, you Mario's not yours anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. like... All right. Right? Fair enough. Um, it's the Lichtenstein argument, right? Which is, uh, you know, the Lichtenstein paintings were gigantic re-representations of Kirby and a number of other artists, but, you know, Lichtenstein presents it in a gallery, um, taking a tiny panel of somebody else's comic book, blows presenting it, it as a, a giant... Yeah, right? Yeah. My, and my son is shouting out here also that Sonic the Hedgehog and Mario are made of the same oh, stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. One gives you coins and one gives you rings. Right? Mm -hmm. One, you have the... Basically, that little star that lets you run really fast, that's how you're, you start. In, in Hedge, Sonic, in yeah. Sonic yeah. right? You just Very start true. fast. So it's the singer, not the song. Okay. Well, I feel uh, encouraged. Uh, I'm going to continue to explore this and see what comes of it. I don't know. I've never actually felt the urge to write a story before, Ooh. which is kind of interesting. So uh, I cannot wait to send this. Uh, I mean, Negan's listening. He always he listens. always listens, But yeah. I'm going to send it to him as soon as it's together because <laughs> he will be... Um, it's one of the first times I think uh, one of the guests of the podcast had us or informed us unintentionally on content. Yes. For the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kept us thinking for a whole other. Yeah. Episode. The rest of our guests have been pretty much duds. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Though I is <laughs> not what I'm. <laughs> I'm going to put this out there just as we're wrapping up here. I miss Sam. Can we get Sam back on here at yes. some point? Yes. Yeah. Sam, come back she? to us. She is uh, got a pretty sweet gig. I know she does, but it's like, come on, come right. down for the podcast. No, but hold on. One I want. She joined the fight. Yes, Dan. that's true. All her extra time she's spending making comics right. right now. Yeah. And things. if you are missing Sam, please go find Krampus is my boyfriend, which is now available on uh, Webtoon and a number of other webcomic services. Also at. Uh, uh, smbico.com you can get links to all of it there uh, Sam is living the dream right now oh. which is why she is not uh, here but this is why studio. she should be here telling us about how well we're going to get her on as a uh, official guest of a 
new webcomic. All right. This has been Super Pulp Science, where we talked about how genre gets made, why you should make it, and we are encouraging you to join the fight and make comics. Make your own comics, though.